Hey, everybody, before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to make sure you're following Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. We're on Facebook under that name. We're on Instagram and Twitter under Testis Cancer. That's T-E-S-T-E-S Cancer, C-A-N-C-E-R, which I'm very sure that you know how to spell at this point. So make sure you give us a follow if you're not already so that when we post new content or post reminders for your monthly self-exams, you can be the first one to see it. Thanks so much. Let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls, presented by Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. Today I'm joined by a friend of the uh, foundation, Cody Wilt. He's always at the conferences that we have. Cody, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Excited. So, Cody, before we get started, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so I started my testicular cancer battle in 2018. Um, we actually found out about two weeks before our wedding, um, which is always a, a tough spot to be. And we're already so tense anyway from, from the planning. Um, <clears throat> actually I came home and I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, how should, how should your doctor want me to go? Something went great, but I need to talk to you about something. Um, the guy get checked out, didn't believe me. It took about 24 hours before she actually believed mm. that we had this, this going on. Um, so I mean, I got married, um, had my left orchiectomy three or four days after the wedding. Um, got it out. Pathology said it was cancer. Um, but where, um, my primaries at mercy. So we transferred over to Dr. Prazio Hopkins and uh, did some evaluations and said, I think you're good. I think we got it. Um, but here's the options. We can do the preventative chemo, preventative RP on D, or just observation. So let's do the RP on D. And uh, <clears throat> just kind of preventive. I'd rather just do that than the chemo. And so when <clears throat> I guess we went on a ski trip in February, then I went on my honeymoon in April, got back, went to do the pre-op, scans and it had come back into the lymph nodes. Um, so we had to kind of change course and started three rounds of BEP, which shrank most of it. And then we went in and did the RPLND to get the rest of it out, which I'm glad we did because it ended up being teratoma and long road recovery. And here we are. Well, glad to daughter. see Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. We'll get to that, um, which is important because I think a lot of people are would be happy to hear that, you know, you still conceived. But let's jump back. I mean, diagnosed before your wedding. I mean, I'm planning a wedding right now, so it is stressful. I mean, how do you how do you go into your wedding knowing that you have the surgery looming? Yeah, um, it definitely put a, a big cloud over over the planning thing for, for Allie and I. And we kind of got over the the craziness we called our parents called our siblings and then just decided that the only people we were going to tell were our wedding parties who were mostly brothers and sisters anyway and just keep it really small just so people knew but we didn't want the focus of that day to be cancer driven and people feeling sorry for us you know we were there to celebrate and be happy so um <clears throat> when i went in for my orchiectomy and Allie finally posted uh something on social media to let people know what was going on I mean, we've had about 150 people at our wedding and I would say of the 150, 115, 120 did not know at all. Mm. So I think that was, was pretty good. Um, it was definitely the morning after when the dust had settled 
was kind of, you know, and I'm getting the emails from uh, Mercy, you know, here's your pre-op check-in, make sure you don't eat, make sure you don't drink, make sure you don't, you know, and it kind of settled in that day after. I mean, how do you kind of yourself, how do you put those nerves? I mean, were you nervous or how, I mean, how did you put that emotion aside and focus on Um, that? Yeah, yeah, super nervous. Uh, I definitely uh, internalize a lot of things and then I have my moments um, when I'm on my own. I try to, to make a point to not get overly emotional in front of Allie. Um, some of my friends were just rocks where I could just kind of go and, and sit with them and talk and just kind of let a lot of stress and stress and steam um, blow off. But, you know, just, I think just trying to internalize it, release it in, in pockets where I could. Um, but, you know, I just wanted it to not be the focus. Yeah. Tell me more, tell me more about your orchiectomy uh, at Mercy and then let's get into why you transferred to Dr. Parazio. Yeah. So I guess leading up through Mercy, I had about two weeks of pain and discomfort on the left side. Um, I went to my primary doctor for my physical. We were on a vacation out in Deep Creek in Western Maryland and it hurt the entire time we were out there for a couple days we got back. And so I brought it up to my primary during my annual. Um, he didn't feel anything. Um, I didn't feel anything, but he's like, while you're here, let's just go get an ultrasound done. Um, they found two masses on the left side. Um, and then they referred me to an internal urologist through mercy who was like, yo, this is just kind of standard procedure. We're going to do the orchiectomy and we want to schedule it as soon as possible. So he let me wait for after my wedding. Um, and then, yeah, we booked it, I think the Tuesday after and we got married on Saturday. Wow. Yeah. So, so you said you transferred to Dr. Parazio, who uh, is a friend of the foundation. He's actually a board member and, you know, one of the best in the world at, at treating testicular cancer. So when you, when you went to him, what was that like? Um, nerve wracking. So mercy did my pathology and came back and said, you know, he was definitely cancer. Uh, we see some spots on your lungs, you know, we're, it's kind of thinking maybe stage three here, you know, and now I'm like losing my mind. Allie's losing her mind. Um, um, my urologist at Mercy was like, you know, this is, I'm understanding of where my limits are and this is definitely it. So I think you need to find a um, oncologist that you're, you're interested in. I can refer you to somebody if you like. So I started digging around and my sister works at um, Kennedy Krieger and Dr. Prazio, as you said, he's one of the best in the world. There was like, no, he can't see you. He's too many patients and kind of did a little string pulling there. Um, and got in to go see him and, um, he can't comes in, he sits down, you know, just like he always says, I'm really sorry you're going through this. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, anyone listening that has him understands his bedside manners are what makes him, incredible. He sat down, he shook my hand. He's just very casual. It's, it's serious, but it's casual. He calmed us down, did a really good job. And, um, it's like, I don't see anything in your lungs and I don't see anything in your lymph nodes. And I think this is kind of where we are. I think it's located to the left testicle. And, uh, here's kind of where the next steps are. And when we had asked him about uh, how one person saw it in the lungs and another doesn't, it was like, you know, they're looking at, uh, scans and blood work and ultrasounds from all 
runs of the, the medicine world, this is what my team does. And he's like, there are some nodules in your lungs, but you had said you used to be a smoker. It could just be scar tissue from that. They're, you know, they haven't changed in size. They're not whatever. So calmed us down. That was awesome. And then we just kind of worked our, worked our plan and, and uh, kind of ran through the, the options and made a plan. It got changed up a little bit, but I wouldn't have changed it for anything. He was absolutely incredible. So in your submission, I believe you said that you initially opted for the laparoscopic RPLND. Is that what you ended up having? No, got the big cut because um, it was post-chemo. So we were going to do, uh, we talked about one round of chemo just to try to kick anything out, observation or the laparoscopic RPLND. And I was like, let's just do that. It sounds like a little bit of pain. Pain's temporary. I'd rather just make sure it's not going to spread. And we kind of talked about a timeline. So I was like, okay, from orchiectomy, I had a ski trip in, in Telluride. Um, I'd never been there. I was really excited. And I was like, I just want to make sure I get there. So we did do orchiectomy, did physical therapy, got to do my ski trip, came back. I said, all right, my honeymoon is in Hawaii. I don't want to have to do that stuff with any sort of surgery. I definitely don't want any diet restrictions in Hawaii. So he made me do scans every, every month or every other month. Uh, leading up to all that just to make sure nothing came back. And when I left for Hawaii, I was good. And by the time I got back from Hawaii, I was not. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, when what was it like for you when you got that news? Um, knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> Things I wanted to say to Dr. P. <laughs> I mean, they weren't as, we were actually in the car on the way to the hospital to get the laparoscopic RPLND. Um, he called me. It was like 6 in the morning, and he's like, um, we got to talk when you get here. Uh, we came in, they saw <clears throat> some enlarged lymph nodes, um, in the CT scan. So he did blood work. And the first major decision we had was, um, if the blood work comes back and your tumor markers are not elevated, everything still looks normal. And throughout this whole process, I never really had crazy tumor markers until this point. I actually don't even know that they were really elevated that at all until this point. Um, if these, like, if they're elevated, um, the surgery has like a 10% chance of being effective. Um, if they're not elevated, it's got about a 50, 50. And so I decided, okay, at that point, if they're not elevated, let's just do it. 50, 50 is a great, good odds, mm -hmm. um, to not have to do chemo. And did the blood work, waited, came back, elevated. So um, essentially the RPLD was off the table and I got referred to another doctor in his office, Noah Hahn, um, who was gonna do the chemotherapy part. And I went in to meet with him and we kind of discussed the plan and I started chemo about three weeks after that, maybe okay. four. Gotcha. So, okay, so which, um cocktail did you have the BEP all right yeah that seems like a, a popular thing uh I have the EP which seems like I'm in the minority um so you had in your submission you mentioned that you had a bit of an interesting first week of chemo with a mm -hmm. neutropenic fever yeah so we did uh the first round um first week was pretty good I actually felt surprisingly good um fantastic nurse um on the oncology floor he's like you know just just wait it compounds i know you're, you're a young healthy guy it's gonna take us a minute to 
to really sink in on your body. Um, to the first week, pretty good. Second week, tired, but pretty good. And then by the end of week three, my fever jumped up to like 103. Um, just super uncomfortable flush. Couldn't eat. Uh, never really got nauseous. Just really um, feverish. Went to our local hospital. Actually called um, Dr. Hans, uh, PA. And she was like, don't. You know, don't come to Hopkins. It's a long ride. It's probably just a little fever. Go to your local hospital. So we went to our local hospital, um, which I don't know has a ton of, they do have a cancer and oncology unit there, but I don't know if they do a ton like, like Hopkins would. So they were really alarmed, went in, um, you know, all masked up and this is all pre COVID anyway. Um, told them we were going to chemo, what was going on. They put me in isolation. Everybody had to wear gowns, all kinds of. Uh, safety measures and I was in hospital for five days. I went in on Saturday, like Friday night, Saturday, like really early Saturday morning, came out Friday afternoon, following Friday. And uh, the fever got under control. What they were really concerned about was the white blood cell count had dropped to like 0.02, like virtually zero. Um, And it wouldn't, they were like, okay, if we start to see your white blood cells grow, um, or multiply them, we'll, we'll let you out. But until then they had like all these infectious disease doctors coming in. It's, it's pretty wild. And I'm, I'm on the phone with Dr. Prazio and he's like, just go home. I'm like, they won't let me go home. He's like, well, let me talk to him. And they're like, we won't let him go home. <laughs> and it took about a week of, um, of that before Dr. Prazio, or excuse me, it was actually Dr. Han, uh, was like, just give him one of the white blood cell booster shots. And if it works, let him go. <laughs> wow. And it, it works. So, what was like the, um, how were they treating you in those, in the hospital for those five days? Just like antibiotics and Nothing. fluids. You were just, just there for observation. Just literally sat in a room. I wasn't allowed to leave the room because they were scared. I'd get something from out in the hallways. Everybody had to kind of like say gown up, mask up. Um, yeah, I just sat and ate, <laughs> watched TV. Um, Again, it was pre-COVID, so my wife was allowed to come in, and, and she stayed for a long time, you know, most days with me. And Yeah, literally, I mean, that's it. They yeah. didn't give me any medicine. They did all this blood work, testing for any like, bacterial stuff. There's nothing there. That's why Dr. Hahn was like, just let him go. I, we know what's wrong. <laughs> Hopefully your insurance covered it with some doctors saying no and some saying yeah. Yeah, I mean, they covered their portion. Yeah. Um, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately that the max out of pocket kicked in. So yeah. I was, uh, that was <laughs> yeah, I think we all know about the max out of pocket. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So, I mean, what the rest of your, uh, your chemo journey, I mean, did you have any other side effects you were experiencing or, um, I actually put on a lot of weight, like fluid weight, my feet, legs, face, everything kind of swelled up. Um, I still have the tinnitus, um, comes and goes. I usually find they're about 10 to 15 seconds. It'll like, boom, and then just cuts out, um, a little bit of neuropathy still. Um, I have some like nerve pain, like in the groin area that, and bleeding into the big RPLND and the orchiectomy, I'd already had a left and right inguinal hernia repair. And then when they did the orchiectomy, they cut directly over the left side hernia scar. And then we did the RPLND. So, you know, we've been 
been talking to doctors about why it's so uncomfortable. And then you know, you've had a lot of cuts. It might get better. It might not, but you don't have cancer. So, yeah. um, yeah, I would say other than that, nothing too crazy during treatment. Um, chicken like chick-fil-a was really like all i could eat i don't know and like we're a big red meat steak and potato kind of family and that was nah i hated steaks anything that iron metallic <clears throat> flavors so i pretty much just ate chick-fil-a probably at least once a day if not twice a day sounds like my parents <laughs> uh, um so you said you were a, pre- a prior smoker i wonder what was like the reasoning uh, for the bleomycin then? Because as we know, like the bleomycin has lung mm-hmm. toxicity potential. So, yeah. So we, we did, it was definitely a big part of the conversation when we were deciding how we were going to go about with treatment. Um, definitely asked those questions. I had, I only smoked while I was in college. Um, so it had been, I cold Turkey the day I left college and picked up a cigarette since, and that would have been in 2012. So, um, I think they had figured he was like, it's been six years and it's not like you smoked for 20 years. You'd smoke, you know, in college. And, um, so what we had agreed was we were going to try the bleomycin for the first round. He was like, if you're going to have, um, any issues with the bleomycin, we'll know pretty quickly and it, it tends to compound. So we'll catch it early. Um, and I never had any issues respiratory wise or that any of the blood work showed. So we just stuck with it. <clears throat> so you're still within five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you following up now with somebody else? Cause, uh, Dr. Prazio has moved on from Hopkins yeah. to Penn. Mm-hmm. So I was, my last two sets of scans and blood work were with one of the PAs, in um, Dr. Prazio's office, it's who I was working with, uh, especially when COVID hit, they were trying to limit the number of people that the main doctors were seeing. And she's been great, but I actually live in Northern Maryland. So his new hospital's really only about 10, 15 more minutes away than Hopkins was for me. So I'm actually thinking I'm going to, on the last conference, we had swapped information that I'm going to try to transfer up to pen at least for observations not give to be up there a ton yeah does your will and, your insurance work for that too because i know dr Prazio when we interviewed and talked with him we were talking about insurance and kind of regionalizing care and everything i mean does that still work for you insurance in a different state we're gonna find out <laughs> i think it's gonna kind of i mean like i said at this point it's it's mostly um scans and and blood work and it's it's pretty simple stuff but not only is this a good way to, and, and Dr. P and I stayed in touch personally outside, but it's a good way to stay in touch. And if anything ever, you know, knock on wood went sideways again, I would want to know that that's where I'm, I'm going and I'll just start all over somewhere else. Yeah. He's the best dude. Um, in survivorship, how, how have you felt? Do you deal with um, any survivor's guilt or kind of anxiety um, anxiety is something I did not have until, until the, the cancer battle at all is really good about just internalizing things and being like, Hey, kind of that it is what it is. What's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, chemo and, and cancer definitely, um, 
enhanced. If there was a little bit in there somewhere, it definitely enhanced it. And now I just get anxious about everything. Um, and now I'm super terrified, constantly anxious, um, with the, having the baby. And, uh, so it's, you know, it's like, I used to tell Ali, I was like, um, worst case scenario, you're 28. There's plenty of time for you to, to move on. But now it's just like, I'm like, I'll constantly have this fear of now there's Reese and, and this kind of whole, whole mess there. Um, and then definitely, I think a little bit of survivors go, right. It always comes up when we're in the conference and people are talking about, we know everybody in some circles having another cancer battle and they always seem so much worse. Um, we have a family friend who's been like a year over a year of chemo and radiation for breast cancer and, and she's doing really well, but now she's got to do some other therapy and something else. It's, it always just seems so much worse than what we all, we all had to go through, but, um, and everyone always tries to make you feel, Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's cancer. Like you had to like get, you did chemo and you had surgeries and, and it could have killed you. And, um, but there's just something about when they, when they walk in, they're like, Oh, it's 99% survival rate. That's going to suck for a little while. It's, I feel like our journey isn't even that long. Yeah. <clears throat> At least it doesn't feel like it's that long. Yeah, no, I definitely echo what, your sentiment there. Let's talk more about your, um, your daughter. Yeah. So, um, finished up with chemo and the RPL and D and getting back in the swing of things. And we had sperm banked prior to treatment and we were, we had just had a, uh, our first meeting with Shady Grove to kind of start figuring out what the plan was, how it was all going to work. And, where we had left it was when Allie started her next cycle, they wanted her to go in and do some blood works. So they could kind of track her hormones and then they would have a very scheduled process for when the best days for her to come in for us to start, um, trying. And, um, can't remember what we weren't going to do in vitro. We were just like the first step, whatever that, that one is. Um, and <laughs> Allie goes, oh, well, I'm super regular. I'll, I'll be calling you in two or three days. It was a Friday, like afternoon. I was teeing off a whole one on a golf course and <laughs> I get a call. She's sobbing. Um, I thought she was in a car accident. She's the last I'd heard. She was heading home from work and, uh, she's like, I'm pregnant. And, uh, yeah, that's, and we did it the, the natural way. And we were still, that was May. So I was only about eight months post chemo. Okay. Uh, I know most people know they supposed to wait two years to, to, to do that, to do that. Um, so that was a very scary, probably about, took about three or four weeks. We call Shady Grove, let them know. Um, you know, I had just finished chemo not too long ago. So they met with, um, like their office, a team of doctors, and then they called my Nohan, my oncologist, and they called Allie's um, OBGYN, and they kind of had a team meeting and discussed uh, the, the, the BEP and kind of the timeline of things, and they felt very confident that it was a, they said, if you want a no-risk pregnancy, that doesn't exist, but you are very minimal risk. Um, they were, so they would have been more concerned with the BEP if Allie had been the recipient that eight months 
should my body should have processed most of that out that two years is just kind of a general net they use for everybody so so how's your daughter doing fantastic uh she's 15 months and big healthy <laughs> um crawling and tearing everything up we might be able to hear in the background and uh yeah it's always been uh yeah she's been in daycare since she was three months old and uh, always coming home with some sort of ailment <laughs> it's always been been fun, been fun. I feel like she's been sick for a year straight but now yeah, she's doing she's doing great had having a kid was that something that you always kind of look forward to or yeah yeah that was um we were definitely I don't know why in my in my mind I was like I want I'd think like a kid by 30 and this was something that I had kind of established in my mind at about 25 or so um career path wise things were shaping up the way I wanted them to and and um we guess we got engaged in 2017 or uh yeah 2017 and we're rolling through that kind of that process and and I was like hey, I think we're feeling good we've been traveling and kind of doing whatever we want and I want to do the family thing. And I was, I was 30 years and three months when we found out. So yeah. Talk about like the emotions that you felt having been through testicular cancer and, you know, the possibility of having a, a child is, you know, up in the air. I mean, how was that when you found out? Yeah, it was, it was super scary. And we've had, um, friends that, have had and have currently friends that are doing the, all these treatments and acupuncture and IVF and they're spending tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And it's just kind of like, Hey, here's 10 grand. Didn't work. Here's 10 grand. Didn't work. Um, so that was a scary, that was a scary thought for us. And then we didn't know, you know, could there be something with Allie that was gonna, um, prevent that since then it's me and her and would we adopt and would we consider uh, surrogacy or you know uh, another sperm donor if there's something that happened with mine I don't know all kinds of things so it was definitely a big um, kind of a scary moment but we did also kind of have that if it's meant to be it'll be yeah that's kind of where uh, my fiance Ashley and I are at right now I'm also like you like have the mental clock of 30 so yeah i don't know what it was about 30 i was like that seems like a good number like <laughs> i got about let's see i got a, if this comes out june 1st i have two years and six days <laughs> <laughs> you're on it man <laughs> um so you know what advice do you have for other people who are kind of just starting down this road or have just completed treatment and now they don't know where to go from here yeah, uh, that's that's a big one. I'm on the, the TCAF um, support group page, and I try to comment as much as I can, um, just giving that opinion because it's so scary when you're when you're in that moment. As you well know, um, and sometimes you can kind of put the blinders on and you focus on that one thing and you you forget about it, and then all the other stuff, and then the dust settles, and you realize, oh my god, there's ten other things that I need to take care of. Um, just communicate. I know you, they, everyone always hears it, but just talk and find there are some things that I would talk to my wife about. Um, there were some things I didn't want to burden her with. Um, and that's another thing, right? We always feel like we're burdening somebody by, by unloading all this emotional weight or physical weight. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm like 240 pounds. My 
my wife's like 110 pounds. <laughs> so after the RPL and D like I couldn't get off the couch. Um, and I tried one night, I rolled off the couch, fell on the floor, couldn't get off the floor. And then now I'm, I got her trying to like haul me up <laughs> off the floor to go use the bathroom. And, and, um, they want to do that. They, you know, looking back, they, they want to be that, that crush for you, that, that part of your life. So just talk about anything, everything, um, journal. I have a whole journal. It's just my cancer journal. Um, Sometimes I write a sentence. Sometimes I write four pages. Uh, I used to always write down people that are going into treatment. And then I like, like looking back on it, I would write the day and what I was doing and who showed up to visit me in the hospital and like, what did I eat and how did I feel? Um, that's kind of cool. I go back and I flip through that and to see like from the beginning, I'm like, you know, I write like four pages in the beginning of chemo and I'm like, Oh, this is so nice. This is fun. Everyone came to see me. And by the end, it's like, this sucks. So I'm so tired, you know, Allie and Will are, they won't stop talking and I just want to take a nap. Like, you know, you like, you need um, but that's fun. And to go back and to look at that, but the talking and, and you got to advocate for yourself. Something doesn't feel right. Anything at all. Ask, talk about it. Tell somebody about it. Cause there could be something going on. I had, my arm didn't feel right. I didn't get a port. They did the stick every time. And my right arm had a blood clot like right in here. And I was like, my arm doesn't feel right. It just feels a little funny. I'm like, that's fine. So we did that, that chemo. By the end of that chemo, I had this big kind of bruised red spot. And they threw me down in to do an ultrasound of, of that. And there's a big old clot in there. Mm. Yeah. So then that was nice. Um, extra nice. Cause then they couldn't use that arm for the rest of treatment. Jeez. So the left arm was the only one that could get, and then those veins, those veins just started collapsing and the scar tissue. You couldn't use them. So my last, uh, round three of chemo, my clot happened during round the start of round two and the round three, they did the, the deep vein, the ultrasound guided, and they found a vein like way deep down, like <clears throat> in my bicep and that stayed in for five days. Wow. All right. So thank you for that advice. You, yeah. we've, we've shouted out Dr. Parazio. I know you said you had a great team of nurses and, and other staff. Mm -hmm. Do you want to shout out anybody else? Yeah. Um, Liam was my primary nurse. I had him every single round of chemo except one when he was on vacation. Um, and Terry Hatcher, I don't know. Uh, she was Dr. Hans PA. I know she's still with Hopkins. I just don't know if she's with um, the urology oncology and then if this makes its rounds far enough to make it to Mercy, uh, Dr. Kusakabe was my, my urologist and my orchiectomy and very educated and, and very informative. And uh, again, great bedside matters. Um, and then my primary, Dr. Bowen, you know, kind of start to finish there. They were all incredible as far as the, the medical team goes. And then as I've said countless times throughout this video, Allie, you know, couldn't have done it. Her and, and my family, they just everything awesome is there anything else that you want to add that i didn't ask about i don't think so i think um just one day at a time you know don't don't try to look at at cancer as you you know the finish line and that's it it's it's for some can be a really short journey and for others a longer journey to to kind of get to that finish line but you got it one step one day 
Yeah, that's true. And um, you mentioned the support group. For anybody who doesn't know, if you're listening to this, you likely know about it, but it's Testicular Cancer Support Group by the Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. Cody's in there. You'll In there, you'll find information about the uh, conferences that we have periodically, and Cody's usually in attendance and is very, uh, very helpful. So, Cody, thank you for that, and thank you for being here on It Takes Balls. Yeah, thank you for having me, and hopefully I'll see you. Are they? Have we decided will Denver happen? Is that looking good in the fall? I haven't heard. I think we have a board meeting at the end of June. Um, okay. That one was talked about, I think, the week before my wedding, so I don't know if I'll be in attendance of that one, uh, <laughs> but maybe next year. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for having me. For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testiculacancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.